From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Good morning, everyone. How's it going this morning? How good does it feel to be back in person worshiping the Lord together? Doesn't it feel so good? And for those of you who are tuning in, yeah, it's awesome. It feels so good to worship again in person. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Uh, for those of you watching at home or wherever you're watching from, if you're tuning into the live stream, welcome. We're glad that you are uh, with us this morning. Uh, in spirit, obviously, our God is greater than these four walls. Our God is greater uh, and can work through screens and speakers and car radios and whatever he needs to do. So we serve a good God, don't we? Um, so if you could turn your Bibles today, um, we've been in our series in Mark. If you could turn to Mark chapter 7. Um, we've been in our series in Mark. Um, I think the book of Mark is a fantastic book of the Bible. Mark is the gospel that scholars believe um, the other three writers uh, based a lot of their information on, a lot of their stories on, because Mark was, uh, again, thought to be the very first gospel, um, the account of Jesus written. So the and what I like about Mark is Mark gets right to the point. He says things for what they are. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 7 today. But don't we live today, don't we live in such a polarizing culture today? I mean, if you look at the social and the political climate um, of even Canada, but if you look at the U.S. and North America right now, we're living in a time that is so polarizing. You are either this or you're that. And if you are this, then you're not that. And if, and if this is you, then you're also, you go along with this as well. We, our culture tells us we, we don't want to put labels on people. That we don't want to label people. We want people to be who they are. And in the same breath, puts us into packages based on the political party you vote for. Or where you stand on this issue. Or your favorite sports team. Because if you're not a Raptors fan, then that just doesn't make sense. Um, like, look at social media. Honestly, I've actually gotten rid of Facebook for almost two years now on my phone. I, I use Messenger. But Facebook just becomes an echo chamber for people to get angry. People to get frustrated. People to yell opinions that they don't know anything about at all. And... Media is designed this way. Our media is actually designed, the news that we get is all designed to separate us. Whether, whether that comes from the people in charge, or I believe it's actually the devil at work trying to divide the world and divide the church. Because things that used to divide the world but didn't divide the church are now seeping into the church and causing division even within Christians. Picture if how bizarre this would be. Picture how bizarre this would be if, let's say it's 1985, okay, before I was born, and the only way to get news was through newspaper, right? Because we didn't have smartphones, there wasn't internet. What if each person on your street got a, a newspaper with the same stories, but it was told in a completely different way? Or they got the different side to each story. So let's say I'm house number one and I get this, this version of the Sarnia Observer. And my neighbor gets this version of the Sarnia Observer but with these details left out and this detail added. And then house number three gets a slightly different version of that with this opinion thrown into it. How bizarre would that be? Who would say that that, is, that would be weird? 
That's exactly how we're living today. It's designed to, to put us in packages. It's designed to sway opinions, to separate us and not unify us. And it's, it's starting to get into God's, God's kingdom and God's church now. And I believe it's, it's a strategy that the devil's been playing the long game with. And I think he's, he's doing a good job, but I believe that our God is so much greater than that. And we're going to look at, at why. But what's interesting, experts say that if you took, um, and I'm just going to use, uh, we'll use a political spectrum today because that seems to be the hot topic. Um, and I don't like to get political at church. I don't think that's what this platform is for. But if you took the most extreme person, if you took a person who believes extreme left views and somebody who took extreme right views, experts say there's still 80 to 90% overlap in what they believe about people, about human rights, about access to medicine, about the way that we should treat children and men and women and families. But doesn't the media do a really good job of making us seem like completely different species almost? 80 to 90% overlap in our beliefs because we are all people. We are all human beings. We all ultimately want the very similar or, or the same thing. Before we turn to Mark 7, uh, let's just pray really fast. Father, we thank you that we can gather here in your house. God, it's so good. It's so good to be in person worshiping you as one, one unit today, as one family today. It's not us sitting in our houses separately from one another. It's not a worship band and then a congregation. We are all one family today, praising you and worshiping you all around the world today. We thank you, and I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear your word, anoint our eyes to see, and anoint our hearts to put it into action today. Bless us and let us be closer with you today. In your name, everyone said, amen. So Mark chapter 7, um, we're going to read from verse 24 to 30. Uh, many of you probably already know this story. Um, it actually is a little bit of a bizarre passage at a first glance. Um, I had to read it, and I've known this story since I was a kid. Um, I've, but when you really dig into it, it, it's a little bit of a bizarre passage. But it's where Jesus honors the Syrophoenician woman's faith, okay? So here it is. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as, he heard, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. At a first read, it's, it's what, a, what a bizarre response Jesus gives her. Um, what we see in this passage, firstly, is Jesus crossed a cultural boundary. That was one thing that Jesus did quite often. Uh, that was part of Jesus' mission. Jesus knew that the Jews would, would kind of abandon him and not, not take him as their Messiah, so, and then he brought salvation to the Gentiles, right? There was obviously a difference between Jews and Gentiles. This woman was not a Jew. 
she was not one of God's chosen people. So for this Canaanite woman to come approach Jesus, who was a Jew, who was a rabbi, this wasn't really, this wasn't common. This wasn't really um, looked upon fondly. A lot of people who would have known Jesus probably thought this woman was wasting his time. And a lot of people who were, were Greek people were probably like, what are you doing bothering with this Jewish guy? Like, what? This, why would you do this? This doesn't make sense. These two people are not supposed to uh, clash. Or, or, sorry, they're not supposed to, uh, they clash. They're not supposed to be together. You're not supposed to go to a Jewish rabbi. We have our own people. This wasn't looked upon fondly. Jesus was called to rescue God's people. He was, he was called to rescue Yahweh's people, the Israelite nation, who throughout the Old Testament, which the entire Old Testament was just God working with his people, setting them free and um, delivering them from their enemies and then through captivity, Jesus was called to save these people once and for all. And this woman was interrupting that. She wasn't one of God's people. And she was interrupting Jesus while he was in the house of a Jewish person. Initially, with Jesus' reply, he, he kind of hints that the woman's a dog. It's a, it's a bizarre response. And, and you think, Pastor Mitch, how is he breaking down cultural barriers? It sounds like he's just driving up more cultural barriers. Because this outsider comes up to him, and, and his reply to her is, Why would I give my children's food to the dogs? But what Jesus is doing here, Jesus does not think of this woman as a dog. Jesus does not think of this woman or this woman's daughter as less than. I think that Jesus' question was a test. And I think it was a test not just for the woman, but I actually believe that it was also a test for the people listening and the people around especially probably the Jewish people that were around that probably looked down on this woman because she was bothering the rabbi. His question was a test of this woman's faith. Jesus did not really think that this woman was inferior. Go back to the woman at the well. When Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, when you read uh, throughout the, the New Testament, you find out that not only did Jews and Samaritans not really, they didn't have the same culture, they did not like each other at all. Jews and Samaritans did not mix. Jews and Samaritans were enemies. But Jesus is graceful to the woman at the well. And, and it appears, because um, the woman at the well questions Jesus and says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jewish man. But he, he acts with so much grace and love. Now, Jesus could have, going back to this, this, um, this Greek woman pleading for her daughter's life, Jesus could have just granted her request. He could have just said, sure, go home, she's healed. He, could have, he, he had the power to. It's not like Jesus needed this to happen. This, Jesus didn't do this for him. He could have just granted her, her um, request, but he had the kingdom in mind. Everything Jesus did was on purpose. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just do something and he's like, ah, I guess we'll see what happens. I'll throw mud in this blind guy's eyes and spit in his face and we'll see what happens. I don't know. I'm sure my father will help me out here if it goes wrong. Jesus had a purpose 
for everything he did. He was intentional. He, he knew what he needed to do. And he knew the right question to ask to draw out this woman's faith and the faith of the people around him and challenge their way of thinking. So he did two things. He drew out this woman's faith by what seems like he's insulting her to see what the next, her next reply is. And he's also, secondly, he's demonstrating his ultimate plan of coming to earth, which was to bring salvation to both Jews and Gentiles. And not only to bring salvation to Jews and Gentiles, but to do it through faith. He was trying to demonstrate that this woman's faith, a non-Jewish woman's faith, was enough. They were living in a time where you had to go to the temple and practice the Old Testament law. So I think Jesus is uh, killing two birds with one stone here. He's saying no, no longer do you need to do those things, but now faith is enough. And faith for people who aren't Jewish is enough now. He was demonstrating his ultimate plan. And thank Jesus that he gave salvation to the Gentiles. Sometimes we forget that we are Gentiles. Now, most of us, I mean, there might be people with Jewish, her Jewish heritage in this room right now. But I think when we read the scripture, at least for me, it's easier to associate with the, with the Israelites sometimes. And you almost picture them as like, we're the Israelites. We're on that side. But we're not. We're, most of us are Gentiles. If Jesus did not allow salvation for the Gentiles, I would not be standing here right now. So thank you, Jesus, <laughs> for his ultimate plan. Thank you, Jesus, for his grace. This woman, and this is a key point today, this woman recognized her lower position. This woman recognized her low position in um, comparison with Jesus. I think that it's a big detail that's overlooked is this, this woman's attitude toward Jesus. This woman's self-awareness to go up to Jesus and after he says something that insults not only her, but her entire family and friends and culture, she says, you know what? You're right. I am not enough. Her reply, don't even the dogs get to have some of the children's food. If that's not a humble answer, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else, more of a humble answer she could have given. She didn't sit here and argue and say, yeah, well, you know what? The Greek people have done this and we've got our philosophers and, you know, this and this and this. She said, you know what? She recognized Jesus' um, divinity. She recognized he was higher than her. So she said, okay, you're right. I don't deserve this. But don't even the dogs get the scraps from the children's food. What, a, what an amazing reply. She recognized her position to Jesus. Maybe it was because she was desperate. I mean, if this woman has a, a child with a demonic spirit, yeah, I think she's, she's pretty desperate. There's nothing she could do on her own. She's probably tried doctors. She's probably tried other forms of whether back in those days it was wizardry and witchcraft and all these crazy things that they tried to do and nothing was working. We, we all know this to be true. How many of you know this to be true? That when you are tested 
or you are stressed out, or you are desperate, or in a hurry, the real you comes out. Right? The real me comes out, and it's not pretty. I don't like him. I don't like the Mitch who's desperate, who's in a hurry, who gets cut off by a car and freaks out because it delays me seven seconds. Who does whatever it takes to get what he wants. The real us comes out. And I think this woman, whether she realized it before or now, she realized her low position because she was desperate. And the real her came out. And she didn't feel entitled to be healed by G- for healing for her daughter. She didn't feel entitled that she deserved her daughter to be healed because she was a Greek woman or she was a mother. She went, yep, I don't deserve this. But she knew she just needed a little bit. She realized this in church. I want you to get this today. This woman recognized that the setting free of her daughter was not based on her social standings. It wasn't based on the fact that she was a man or a woman. It, didn't, it wasn't based on her spiritual or her cultural status or her age or her wealth. You know what it was based on? The, her daughter becoming set free. You know what it was based on? The grace of Jesus and nothing else. There is nothing that this woman could have done that would have changed the grace of Jesus. Let's say Jesus wasn't graceful with her. There's nothing she possibly could have done. She could have spent her whole lifetime, an eternity to try and earn her daughter's um, freedom. But it was only based on the goodness of Jesus. That is it. How many of you are thankful that we don't have to earn Jesus' grace because none of us would ever get it? I wouldn't even come close. The closest you would get would be to put me in a coma where I can't say anything for two weeks. And even then, I wouldn't even come close. Not even close. It was only based on the measure of grace that Jesus gave her. Thank you, Lord. So this woman was aware of her complacency. She was aware that she was powerless And that Jesus was powerful. Say that again. That she was powerless. Not that she had less power than Jesus. This woman was powerless to help her daughter. And Jesus was powerful. Her faith actually reminds me of Luke chapter 8. The woman who who had the problem of bleeding who crawled through a crowd. This woman was considered by Jewish law unclean. Because when you look back in the Old Testament, um, I recently have gone back and I read all the way from Genesis um, through to Joshua, and you read some of these laws in the Old Testament, and it seems so foreign to us. But if a woman was on her menstrual cycle, she could not worship in the temple because she was unclean. She wasn't in a clean state to worship. If a man touched a dead body or touched a dead animal... Or even, let's say a man, a man got intimate with his wife. He couldn't worship for seven days because he was unclean. If a man had a rash or, or any person had blisters on their body or a rash or a sickness, they could not worship in the temple because they were not clean. 
So you can imagine this woman. So people didn't want to touch this woman because if you touched an unclean person, so let's say I accidentally came into contact with a dead body and I'm like, oh shoot, now I'm unclean. And then Kyle walks by and bumps into me. Kyle's unclean. And then Kyle goes and bumps into somebody else. Guess what? They're not worshiping at the temple. So people avoided this woman like she was the plague, literally like she was the plague. People avoided her. She would have, when she was walking down the street, people probably would have yelled that she was coming and they would have like moved out of the way to let her go by because they didn't want to come into contact with her. She kind of sounds like an outsider, doesn't she? Kind of like this Greek woman was to the Jews. But this woman in Luke chapter 8, I love Luke's account of, of healings because Luke was a doctor. So Luke has the most detail about the healing side of, of Jesus' ministry. So this woman, if you don't know the story, there's a crowd surrounding Jesus. People are grabbing him, trying to get him to do miracles for them. And this woman's like, look, there's no way I'm getting through. People will not let me through. So she gets on her hands and knees and she crawls through the crowd. People, I can only imagine, are like, oh my gosh, get away from me, stepping away from her, trying to get out, get, get her to not touch them, probably just disgusted with her. And she, she knows and she reaches out to touch the cloak of Jesus, his robe, because she, she knows in that, in that passage, when you read it, it says she knew that all she needed to do was touch the hem of his garment and it would be enough to heal her. She knew that there's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter who I am or what I've done. People have treated me like an outsider, like a piece of garbage for years, her whole life. But she knew all I needed was just a touch. I just needed the scraps from the table of Jesus. I just need a touch of his garment. And, and we know what happens. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, I mean, everyone's touching you and grabbing you right now. And he says, no, I felt power leave me. And he turns around and the woman was healed. Don't these two women kind of show the same type of faith? They're in a low position. They're desperate. They're aware of their low position. They are fully aware that they are not worthy to be healed, that they don't deserve it. But they know who Jesus is, and they recognize who he is and what he can do. And they say, all I need is a touch of his clothes. All I need is the scraps from his table, and it will be enough. Isn't that incredible, church? It's incredible. Reputation, social standing, the history of these women, their marital status did not matter. Let's go back to the reply of the woman to Jesus. After he has that funny reply to her and says, why would I take my children's food and give it to dogs? That's not fair. We just read the passage in Mark, so I'm going to read it again, and I'm reading from the NIV. I'm going to read her reply again. She says, even the dogs under the table get the children's crumbs. But I love, if you, this story is also written about in the book of Matthew. He, he takes an account of this story as well. Listen to her reply in Matthew. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. She recognizes that Jesus is the master over her. And she's not even Jewish. She doesn't even understand the concept of the Messiah or who Yahweh is. She just knows he's clearly the master. I've seen and heard what he can do. I love that reply. 
Whether she realized it in that moment, whether it was kind of like when Jesus spoke to her, a light switch went off, or whether she realized it before she even talked to Jesus, she knew he was the master. So where does that leave us today? We need to posture ourselves correctly to unlock God's favor. So what does that mean, posture yourself? Whenever I hear the word posture, it takes me back to when I took business class in grade nine in high school. Um, that class was the biggest waste of my time, I think, of any class in high school. Like, and I took some pretty silly core classes in high school. We were, I remember it, the year, when I was in grade nine, it was about 2008, and we were still using, um, I think we were using Microsoft Office 98 at the time. I was learning Microsoft Word, Microsoft Publisher. We were using ClipArt for the design work. And then we were making um, those PowerPoints. You know where, like, you insert the laser sounds and, like, your, your title will go, like, pew, 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 and then, like, come up. And I was like, what a waste of my time. <laughs> and we did a whole, we did a whole uh, section on ergonomics. And that's what pops into my head when I hear the word posture. You're supposed to sit upright with one foot slightly in front of the other. And you want your knees slightly bent. You don't want your computer too high or too low. And I thought this was the biggest waste of time until one Sunday we were here at church and the keyboard was too low for my hands. And we were about halfway through and I was like searing pain in my arms. I'm like, oh, this is ergonomics. Okay. This is a real thing. <laughs> because at the time my teacher goes, and you have to get up every 20 minutes and stare at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And I was like, I can play Call of Duty for six hours straight. I'm fine. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. But then you play Call of Duty for six hours straight and your eyes are bloodshot and you're looking in the mirror. You're like, whoa, my eyes hurt. And you're like, my head is pounding. You're like, what, what is happening? And I'm like, oh, Miss Woodrow knew what she was talking about. <laughs> That's what I think when I hear the word posture. Anyway, I digress. So, Our beliefs and our position and our posture towards Jesus are often backwards. In especially, I would say, the North American church. We hear a lot, and, and this isn't, well, this is meant to convict today. Not to condemn, but to convict. Because I struggle with this as well, and I have to fight this in me. We love, in North America, to have a me-centered relationship with Jesus. Our favorite sermons are the sermons that say, Jesus loves you and will do anything for you. Our favorite sermons, we hear preachers that, um, without giving names, will tell you, if you are faithful to God, he will make you rich. He wants you to be rich. God wants you to have all the blessings in the world, and he'll do anything to get that to you. We love the messages that talk about Abraham's blessing and how we're part of that family, but what, or that, that promise. But what we don't like are the messages that say, you are nothing without Jesus. You are dead in your sin before Jesus came along. You know that woman with the bleeding issue? That's us. The, 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 the Greek woman who was desperate? Yeah, that's all of us. There's nothing we can do. We don't like the messages that say the sin in your life brings destruction and death to you. We don't like those. Our favorite worship songs are the ones that are the Jesus is my boyfriend songs, right? The ones that make us feel good. The ones that when we sing them, like, oh, I love this part because it makes me feel good. The songs we did this morning, I think, are perfect. For I was dead in sin, now Jesus lives in me, no longer I who lives. What a, what a perfect example of what we're talking about today. God is so good. He is so good to me. 
We love me-centered preaching and me-centered worship songs. We, we feel entitled as Christians to different things that we, we, we read about, but we forget the part where we're nothing. As me and our real youth students did a series in Romans months ago, our themes were, we are garbage, but Jesus can recycle us. <laughs> you guys remember that? You guys know what I'm talking about. We are garbage, because it's true. We don't like that part of the gospel. But why did Jesus have to come down and save us if we didn't need saving? I think, and this is just my thinking, I think this is why the North American church has seen a decline in the miraculous. I think that's why there's not as many healings as we used to see. When you look at the book of Acts, people were healed left and right. People were set free left and right. It was crazy. People were walking under the apostle Paul's shadow and they were being healed by his shadow because God's anointing was so strong on Paul. Not Paul's anointing, but God's anointing on Paul. I think that's why we don't see these things happen anymore. Because we have me-centered thinking. Reversing our selfish way of thinking will draw out our faith. Um, if I can invite the worship team, the worship band, uh, to come back. Now, this isn't just Pastor Mitch's afterthoughts, but this is actually a pattern in Scripture. Think of the blue, so we're going to go back. The woman who had the issue of blood. The Roman centurion. The man who was socially in a higher status than Jesus. He was a Roman soldier. He could be touched. He could do whatever he wanted. Came to Jesus, lowered himself, and allowed Jesus to be above him and said, I, I need you to heal my servant. And it happened. Because this man was not entitled as a, as a Roman centurion. He was a man who was feared. These men were brutal. They could do whatever they wanted. But he lowered himself to Jesus. He didn't think he was entitled to the healing. He just said, I've heard what you can do. How about the woman caught in adultery? If, if this isn't a humbling circumstance, I don't know what is. To be caught in the act of adultery, to be grabbed and dragged out by the religious leaders and thrown in the ground with a circle of people around you mocking you. If that doesn't make you, if that's not humbling, I don't know what is. That sounds like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Whether, so what I like about this story with the woman caught in adultery is her uh, humbleness wasn't a choice. She actually learned the hard way that she is in a low position. Sometimes life hits us like that. You can either choose to, to realize that Jesus is above you or one day you can learn the really hard way. This woman learned in a pretty hard way that Jesus was above her because he's above all of us. But guess what? Jesus was graceful with her. He showed her mercy. And we're gonna go back to the same theme. I'm repeating myself because we need to grasp it. And this is something that I struggle with as a pastor. If you ask, if you ask me, um, in a, if you hooked me up to a lie detector test or if Jesus was in the same room as me or you ask my wife, what is the one thing Mitch struggles with? It's that I still feel like I have to earn God's love and mercy. I don't, I, I have a hard time grasping for myself that Jesus loves me for who I am, not because of what I've done. But this woman learned it definitely wasn't about her past or her history or her sin. 
but it was because of the grace of Jesus. How about the leper? So lepers, like the woman with blood, leprosy was a, a disease that was very, very contagious by touch. If you touch somebody with leprosy, you would get it. And leprosy, if you don't know, would cause you to lose feeling in your, in your limbs. So if you got leprosy on your hand, it would break out and start to look like white and gross. And people with leprosy could uh, stick their hand on a, on a wood, on a, like a fire stove where it could get chomped off by an animal and they wouldn't know. It was very awful. And then sometimes their limbs would actually fall off. You did not want to catch this. So this man, who, uh, what they used to do in those times, he was used to people yelling, leper, down the street as he would walk by. And people would clear out of the way and be like, whoa, get this guy out of here. In fact, they would put lepers in their own village because they're like, let those people stay away from us. This leper, who knows he shouldn't be around people, walks up to Jesus and listen to this reply. This is my favorite reply, I think, of all. He said, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. He realized that it's only based on one thing, the will of Jesus. If Jesus wanted to heal this man, he would be healed. If he didn't, he wouldn't be healed. Think about that reply. He didn't beg and say, Jesus, I'm suffering so much. Oh, and tried to pull Jesus' heartstrings. He just says, if you are willing, I know you can do it. Please heal me. What an amazing reply. So we see a theme in scripture of people posturing themselves below Jesus at his feet and looking up and just saying, Jesus, please, I know it's you. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I've said or what I can do. It has nothing to do with me as a pastor, how well I preach, how many people are in our youth ministry or in our church, Jesus, I just need your mercy and I know it's only based on you and your goodness. There's nothing I can do. And that's when we see breakthrough, church. That's when in scripture we see breakthrough. That's when we see healing. That's when we see people set free, when they are willing to give up themselves and just say, look, I just need the crumbs from your table. Just give me something, because it'll be enough. Instead of relying on ourselves and, and using Jesus as a last resort, I've tried all my options. I have tried all of my options. Why don't we just go to the Father first and say, I just need a little bit, because I know that's going to be enough. And Lord, if you are willing, here I am. Church, don't you think, don't you think our lives would change Instead of cramming Jesus into our lives, why don't we revolve our lives around Jesus? We're not above Jesus. His life is not something we add to our schedule. We are the dogs at the Lord's table. We, we don't even deserve a spot here, so why do we take that spot for granted? Why do I take that spot for granted? Why do I just... Spend time with Jesus, you know, when I'm a little more awake or when I'm more in the mood or when this episode of prison break is over. Yeah, I'll do it then. Oh, you know what? I'm tired. I'll do it tomorrow. I have a spot at the Lord's table. I don't deserve it. The only way I have it is because Jesus has allowed it to me. So here's what I want us to do. If everybody could stand not for the sake of healing or breakthrough, 
I want this to be purely, I want this to be purely out of posturing ourselves properly toward Jesus. To break the pattern of me-centered Christianity. To not feel entitled to the, to the blessing of God, but realize that we don't deserve a single drop of it. To realize that we only deserve the crumbs from Jesus' table. We don't even deserve the crumbs from Jesus' table, but he lets us have a seat. So while we worship, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this time in worship to align yourself with Jesus properly. That might look different for some of us. Some of us might need to repent and say, Jesus, my relationship with you has been me-centered. What can I get out of my relationship with Jesus? You know what? I need a touch of Jesus, so I'm going to worship him today. That's not worship. That is trying to make yourself feel better. We worship Jesus because he's worthy of it. Whether we need to repent of Jesus, I don't spend time with you because I don't cram you in my schedule, or only reading the passages in scripture that we like, or only listening to the speakers that make us feel good. I'm sorry, guys, my message today is not going to make you feel good. It doesn't make me good feel good today. But if, 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 if one person's convicted today and said, you know what, I've realized my position with Jesus has been wrong. Church, my position with Jesus has been wrong. Then mission accomplished. Maybe some of us need to get our priorities back. Maybe some of us need to put Jesus back at the head of the table instead of fitting in Jesus where we can. Instead of prioritizing things that aren't kingdom things, during this time of worship, we need to put Jesus back at the head of the table. Maybe we need, instead of standing up, we need to kneel down and just say, Jesus, here I am, just like the woman did, just to touch his, the hem of his garment. Just like the woman who said, I am just, a, I, don't even the dogs get the crumbs. Maybe you just need to position yourself like that today. Whatever you need to do, praise him today. Worship him today as if he's the master today. Don't worship him the way you like or you're comfortable with. Don't say a prayer that you're comfortable with, but say, Jesus, you are the master today and I'm gonna worship you and I'm gonna align myself like you're the master and I'm the servant. We forget sometimes that the apostle Paul said that we are a slave to righteousness. We are a slave to God's word, to who, to who he is. So church, right now, if everybody could close their eyes, if you're comfortable, take a worshipful posture, lift up your hands, close your eyes, don't, don't be distracted today, and just begin to do what you need to do to align yourself correctly with him. Jesus, you are the master today. Jesus, we begin to just lift up your vo our voices to you. We lift up your name today. We are nothing without you. God, for we were dead in sin until you came along. No longer I who lives, but Jesus who lives in me. Less of me, more of you. Come on, church. Come on, people. If you're watching at home, maybe at home you need to sit on the couch. Maybe you need to, to kneel on the ground and just say, Jesus, this is for you today. More of you, less of me. Give Jesus the reins again. Give him the, the head table spot. Jesus, Jesus, come on, Lord. Come on, if you need to repent today, Jesus, I've made it about me. It is about you. It is all about you, Jesus. I am not worthy of anything.
keep singing, keep you declaring his goodness. Keep declaring that he is the master today. God is so good. God is so And if and if you're uh, if you're working this out with Jesus, I want you to continue. But uh, don't, don't stop even as I'm talking. But if there's any of you today that are dry and you're thirsty and you say, I do need a touch. I do need to touch the hem of Jesus' garment today. I just need a little bit. Why don't you just call on him and say, Jesus, give me give me what you have for me today. If you need breakthrough today, if you need healing, if you've got a prodigal, whatever you need. Just say, Jesus, I don't deserve it. It is based on your goodness alone. Jesus, Jesus. Not by what I can do or if I've said. It's all based on your goodness today. Come on. Let's, let's push deeper, church. Let's go. You're so good. You're so good. Oh, it's about you, God. sense the presence of Jesus in here right now. I can feel it. It's tangible. I can feel it in my spirit. I can feel it in my body. Why don't we just begin to just bask in his presence? For those of us who need a touch, let's not get used to his presence. Let's not take it for granted, but let's just sit in there for a moment. Just sit in his goodness. Sit in his grace. Let his presence change you. Let it bring you peace. Church, do you sense his goodness this morning? 
Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Come on, one more moment. Let's just, let's just soak in his presence. Refresh you. Let it bring you joy today. grace church do you sense his love today do you sense that that peace and that joy that come with his presence there's just a calmness and a joy Jesus just be still let your soul be still and wait on him for just another moment Holy Spirit, that you are in this room. Whether you, you've felt the presence of God hundreds of times, whether it's the first time you're sensing it this morning, or maybe you're in this room and you're thinking like, I feel something right now. There's like a peace and a calmness and a joy. Everything feels right. That's because God is in this room with us right now. His presence is here. Holy Spirit is here. And we don't, listen, church, we don't do this. I'm tired of doing church because it makes us feel good. Yes, the presence of God is so good. But we don't do it for, for we feel good for a moment. We don't do it so that we can go home and feel refreshed. We do it so that we can be, become more like him. We get to know the Father so we can become more like him. In these moments, he's showing us his grace that we were just talking about. He's showing us his love and his mercy in this moment so we can be more merciful and more loving to people. So we can know him better. Father, we thank you that you are here. God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for everybody tuning into the live stream. I pray for everybody who's watching this maybe later on in the week or listening on the podcast. Holy Spirit, the same presence that is so strong in this room right now, that's making it hard for me to get words out, I pray that it would be upon everybody who listens today. I pray that we would understand we are nothing without you. We need you. There's nothing we can say or do. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how long we've known you for. Everything that we have is given to us because of your goodness and only based on your goodness. I pray as we leave this room in just a few moments that, Holy Spirit, you would, go, you would go with us, that you would surround us, that this week as we meet, some of us meet in our life groups, as we talk with people within the church, as we talk to coworkers and our families, Holy Spirit, be in our conversations. Bring us opportunities to show your grace and love today. Jesus, Jesus. God, we love you and we exalt you today. There is no one like you. And everybody with me, we said, amen. Amen. Isn't it so good to be back in the house of the Lord? Thank you so much for listening. 
We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.